Greetings, greenhouse people. I'm your host, Bill Calkins. And in an effort to provide this critical information in really any way you choose to consume it, I'm working with my guests to make sure this is available as a video presentation and a podcast. But first, I want to introduce my guest who has been an integral part of Tech on Demand since its inception, Dr. Will Healy. He has more than three decades, probably four decades, experience working with greenhouses of all shapes and sizes, growing all sorts of different crops over the years all around the world in an attempt to help them implement best strategies for all of their unique situations. And that extends to all of you, our viewers and listeners, who all also have unique situations. Will retired recently from Ball Horticultural Company, but he continues to think about ways to improve horticultural production, even in his retirement. And for that, we are extremely grateful. Will contacted me a little while ago with some ideas and a whole bunch of topics that have been on his mind lately, and we're going to try to cover them one at a time. And our topic today centers on pansy and viola germination and how this important step in the process can lead to uniformity down the line. Will has helped growers with literally like a billion pansy and viola plugs over the year. He's seen it all, the good and the bad. And what we really want to do is take a look at what good growers are doing to produce these crops the best. If you like this installment, be sure to subscribe to the Tech on Demand podcast on your favorite app like iTunes, Google, Spotify, Stitcher, pretty much all of them and follow Ball Seeds' YouTube channel for endless videos that we continue to produce. But that's really enough out of me. Dr. Will, welcome back to Tech On Demand. How have you been? And I guess my first question is, why are we talking about pansy germination today? Because I know we've done a number of videos on pansies, taking them all through production, uh, all the way to finishing, and even um, you know post-harvest uh, management of them. And I'm going to link all those in the show notes. But you mentioned something when we were talking about synchronous and asynchronous development. And that's something I definitely want you to explain because you're going to reference this throughout this video and others on specific crops. So talk a little bit about that and why we are talking pansies today. Well, Bill, of course, um, the reason why we're talking pansies is if you're listening to this in the fall, it's because you're knee deep into pansy production. And of course, if you're listening to this in the winter, then you're probably knee deep in pansies for spring production. So we, we produce a lot of pansies world and violas worldwide. Um, so it's really important that we do that. And of course, the season is very short. And so, and the crop is fairly um, fat or can be fairly fast. So it's really important to have this uniform synchronous development. So they all flower at the same time. You don't have some plants that are really small, some plants that are really big. You know, this is one of the big challenges that we've had. Well, basically it's been over almost 40 years that I've um, been involved way back when I was at Colorado State. Um, working with Al Gerace um, at uh, Welby Gardens, you know, one of those early, early pansy growers um, who basically, you know, we tried to figure out how can we make these more uniform? And there's been a lot of innovation with priming, um, with pre-germ, with chambers, with all kinds of different techniques, but yet growers still struggle with how do I get them to all germinate within a very tight window? We talk about the 48 hour window, which means from the time they start 
first germinating to the last one, because anything in that 48 hour windows will progress uniformly. So growth, growth regular applications, fertilization application, gapping, transplanting and flowering is all very uniform. When that basically spreads out, so you get these waves of germination, that's when all the bad things start happening because you don't know, should we spray these because you put a little more growth regulator on them? And the big ones stay, stay good, but the small ones stay runs. And then you can't get them out and you're trying to figure out how do we get these and then you got to segregate them and it's just like, it's a mess. So we really want to focus on this whole concept of synchronous, meaning all the same, or asynchronous, meaning not really all the same. And that's, of course, very bad. So um, over the years, I've really spent a lot of time thinking about how do we go and improve this synchronous germination? Because it's all about if they all germinate within this 48 hours, it's piece of cake. When they okay, don't, so it really starts in that germination, right yes. in the plug tray. Yes, it is where you start to see this asynchronous or synchronous uniform development of the plant. And actually, Bill, we can even back it up and say within about all oh, the first five, seven days, it's either game on, game over. That makes mm -hmm. sense. That makes sense. So why don't you go ahead, share your screen. And take us through some of those early stages. Um, I know you've got some cool close-up photos for us that are really going to uh, help make a lot of sense. And if you are listening to this via podcast, uh, I'll put the link to the video presentation in the show notes as well. Excellent. So let's talk about this achieving uniform pansy viola germination and flowering because it is so critical for success. But let's now start at the very beginning and, and define a couple of terms so we're really all on board with exactly what we're talking about because I think it's really important to make sure that we are talking about the same thing with the same starting and end points. So uniform seedling stands is what we're looking for. And that's really critical. So basically, if we take a look at the germination process, it begins with the absorption of water and ends with the elongation of the radical or what is the root. So, you know, once that root comes out, technically germination is done. So we can no longer have to worry about um, you know, is it germinated when the cotyledons unfold? No, no, no. That's we're we're talking about. We're looking for how do we get those roots to come out absolutely uniformly. The um, the next thing we want to make sure is that we understand is that once that root has elongated, the seed is technically germinated. So we're, anything that's there is good. As we mentioned before, synchronized germination within that forty-eight hour window is what we're looking for because it results in the most uniform stands and ultimate flowering. We've got a great picture here of two trays, the tray on the left, where you basically have asynchronous germination. If you notice, you've got some that have got two going on three leaves and you've got some that are barely throwing one leaf, true leaf out. And there's a couple that are just the cotyledon unfolding. This is true asynchronous. You've got probably um, 10 days difference in flowering between the smallest and the largest. And of course, it mystifies people as to when do I growth regulate? When do I fertilize? When do I, when do I? And it's just for any grower, it's impossible. The tray on the right basically shows beautifully synchronous development. Every single plant has exactly the same number of leaves. So this is really a key factor. Now, 
If you read all of the technical information provided by all the breeding companies, they always talk about temperature and people say, well, I should really look at temperature. Well, my experience is that I've seen seeds germinate from, you know, when the temperatures are, you know, in the high hundred degrees during the day, which is, you know, approaching 40 some degree centigrade, all the way down into, you know, 10, 10 degrees centigrade, you know, 50 degrees. So temperature, good can happen and bad can happen if you follow the basic rules. Um, and so I've seen people do it under high temperatures and low temperatures and all temperatures in between. So really forget about temperature. Let's focus on what's critical. And I think this is where we get messed up. We overthink. So let's really start thinking about what is the process of germination? Because it's really a two-step based process, Bill. You know, the germination process that I've talked in a number of different presentations over the years, basically all boils down to step one, seed coat absorbs water. The water then basically moves into the seed and begins to the whole process. And this is a pure water. You've got to have sufficient moisture in that very first early part of the germination, the first couple of days, you know, basically starting on day zero to basically get that absorption as rapid as possible. The next step is much more complicated because now all of a sudden, this is where the machinery in the cell, the starch starts breaking down, the cells start multiplying because you basically activate storage proteins and amino acids and RNAs and amino, you know, it's all this stuff that you learned about in biology class and promptly forgot except unless you took a test. Um, and then basically all that starts happening and that is an oxygen dependent process. You gotta have oxygen going into that seed to basically, basically get the whole process going. It's not about water, it's about oxygen. Seed coat then cracks, radical emerges. And of course we basically at that point say the seed is germinated, okay? So those are the basically the process and the two critical steps we've got to keep in mind and keep in the correct sequence is step one, hydration, get the water into the seed. Step two, get the oxygen in the seed, because when that doesn't happen, that's when failure occurs. And time and again, people um, don't get it wet enough, let it dry out, basically don't keep the oxygen in and all of a sudden they go asynchronous and we've got populations from small to large all over the place. So let's just take a look at what's happening to some prime seed on some blotter paper over a course of a couple of days. So the seed was put on the blotter paper and of course the blotter paper is moist so that seed is adequately wet. And we've got a, a number of different seeds on the um, on this blotter paper and we've got two circled. And these are the two seeds I would like you to watch because these two will progress from day one. Notice that they all have a hard seed coat. Nothing is cracked, everything is pretty much there. Notice that on day two, a couple of the seeds have started to crack. And that's basically typical of pansies, especially prime, because some of them are a little bit further along from the priming process. And so they actually now begin to crack, but others have not cracked yet. And they're all still kind of moving along. You can see all different stages on day two. 
That's how fast this is happening. And this is why it's so critical to have that moisture there. As we get to day three, we start seeing that there's a lot more seeds that have cracked and that they have started to elongate. Now, now we're into that 48-hour window we've talked about where we want everything to begin to start moving and um, at the same time and be synchronous in its development. Kind of watch a little bit some of the seeds that aren't cracking. As we get to day four, notice that we do have um, our seeds that are actually there's a couple of them that have got rooting, roots starting to come out, so they would technically be germinated. And we still have a couple of seeds. There's two seeds over on the right-hand side that haven't cracked, haven't done anything, which of course may or may not ever uh, materialize into a usable plant. That's why the germination percent is important. This is where you get you know 98, 90% germination. Some seeds just aren't gonna do their thing. Um, and then of course, as we get to day five, notice by day five, you are at the point where you have pretty much all the radicals out that you wanted to. So between day three and day five, it started happening. So when we start thinking about that 48 hours, when they're in the soil, it's kind of hard to see it. But if you start digging around, this is what you'll see if you've got the moisture correct and that the seed is not, is taped up moisture and the oxygen's getting in and that good things are happening. You've got to be careful when you're um, applying your moisture that you don't let it get down to a level two, um, because once it gets to a level two, the seed basically so seed coat dries back down, and it stops any um, seed any development. So when we take a look at um, the start and stop, sometimes it's because we basically have gone and sown the seed, got it to the correct weight, tray weight, so everything looks good, and then we put it onto a rack in the middle of summer, put it into our nice dry um, sowing area, and then everyone goes to lunch. And Bill, dries, what do you think dry, happens? What dries happens out real quick and shuts down. Right. And then you go and you try it and you kind of wonder, well, why didn't anything happen? Once you drop water on that seed, the clock is ticking. Do not let it dry out. In fact, fill the tr have a runner who's moving carts to that next stage where you're going to be able to maintain that moisture. Because if you dry it down too much, game over. You just aren't going to get the performance, uniform performance. You're going to go asynchronous or you're going to spend a lot of time trying to fix this whole problem. The flip side of drying out is keeping it too wet, because some people believe that if a little bit of water is good, then a lot, a lot of water is really, well, in this case, really bad. Because what happens with pansies and violas, and violas more than pansies, and surprisingly, there's a lot of seed that does this. If they're too wet, um, basically evolution gave them a way to say, don't germinate, you're floating in water. What happens is if there's too much water, they form this gel coat. And you can actually feel it and see it on pansies and viola seed. If you take the seed and put it after about day three and put it between your fingers and it's been too wet, it's actually slimy and slippery. That's the gel coat. And we talked about a gel coat basically blocks oxygen uptake. And Bill, step one was water. What was step two of germination? It was oxygen. And so if you block the oxygen, it stops. And most usually when I see people that are having problems with waves of germination, so they've got all different sizes of plants in their trays, it usually you start talking to them about how they water, what their tray weights were, how they were doing their process. Invariably, it's because they've kept them too wet. Too wet is consistently 
a level four plus um, in the tray um, so that there's always water sitting there. And then they form this gel coat. And then as soon as they dry them down, pop, they take off and grow because now they've got oxygen. So watch out for this gel coat. Level four plus mo um, moisture promotes gels. So really what we want to do is we want to kind of dry it down from a level four and then make sure they get down to a level three and go back up and down. And if you're not familiar with the different moisture levels and how to do that, there is a podcast. And Bill, I think you're going to put them in the um, show notes. Yep. We have podcast and video and uh, document that, that shows visually what to look for. Or if you're weighing the trays, it talks a lot about that. There are many ways to keep an eye and keep your water levels in check. But like you said, the key is up to a four, down to a three, don't go down to a two in this case. Right. And if you do this, you surprisingly, it sounds like a lot of work, but um, spending the time at this stage makes all the difference between spending the money on, on gapping and delayed flowering or basically having a uniform synchronous development. So let's talk about how you end up in trouble. Because a lot of people say, well, I put on the moisture correctly. Why is it still not happening? Well, part of the problem is, is the soil moisture at the time of flat filling. You know, when you need to have a certain amount of moisture in the cell so that it doesn't overcompact the soil, because if it's too dry, it will overcompact, and then you can't get the root development. Um, if it's, um, if you don't go and get it moist enough, um, or if it's too moist, then you can't get enough soil and you have collapsing of the cells. So you have to have that right amount of moisture um, at the, in the tray at the time of flat filling. Now, how do you know that if you don't have the right moisture and consistent uniform moisture in that tray? Well, a lot of times if you take a look at your um, um, plants and you have different hypocotyl. Now, the hypocotyl is that little stem below the cotyledons. So sometimes you end up with this tray that's got tall cotyledons, as the picture shows, or you end up with even short little cotyledons or hypocotyls. Um, so you've got this tall and short. And that usually indicates that at the time of sowing, some of the cells were wet, which results in a tall hypocotyl, and some of the um, cells were dry, which then results in a short hypocotyl. So really the, the thing that you wanna look at from a grower's perspective, are my hypocotyls all exactly the same size? If they're all exactly the same size, you probably did a good job of moistening the soil before you transplanted, before you sowed. If not, then you need to go back to the flat filler and see where did we fail. So let's take a look at some of the places that we failed. The first place is how did you put the water in the soil before you put it into the flat filler? If you've got a paddle or a, a ribbon mixer, are you using um, a fogget nozzle, which is spraying uniformly a nice fog moisture distributing it uniformly all over the soil, or are you using jets that basically squirt strains in there so you end up really wet spots surrounded by very dry spots. And of course, that then results in wet and dry pockets within. So look at your nozzles. What kind of nozzles do you have? The cheap way is to take a pipe and just drill holes. Bad plan. The better way is to go in and put in um, fogget nozzles. And usually, depending upon what, um, what you're doing, is you're going to use either um, uh, something around a one gallon or maybe even two gallon, but nothing more because that gets it too wet and anything less than it's too dry. So look at that. Um, how you can tell whether you've got a problem is um, take your some flats, 
fill them, and then set them out on the bench overnight and see, do you end up with this wet and dry pockets? Um, this is basically what we call checkerboarding. And we're going to have a podcast that talks about how do you get checkerboarding and how do you eliminate it? Um, so here we've got an example where you've got cells that are clearly bone dry. They're at probably a level one, surrounded by cells that are probably at a level um, three or four. And how did you do that? Well, you did this because you had soil in your flat filler that was dry because, of course, on Friday, what did they do when they were done sowing? They all went home. Wrong approach. What you should be doing is making sure that you've either emptied it out, that's the best solution, cleaned it so it looks like just like the day you brought it to the greenhouse, clean as a whistle, or you basically um, cover it making sure that you've added a little moisture so that it is uniform and it doesn't have dry pockets. Also making sure that you clean off the equipment so that you don't have these little pockets that all of a sudden fall into the cells. Notice you've got um, uh, dry soil all over. So a lot of times when we start seeing these um, talls and shorts, it's because growers have not cleaned their um, flat fillers. The flat filler is critical to success of synchronous germination. Next step um, in the process that causes the problem is this whole overcoating or covering. Uniform overcoating is critical to uniform germination. So the purpose of it is it basically is designed to maintain uniform moisture around that seed coat so that when it takes up the moisture, it does not dry back. So we've got two great cells here, an example of a good overcoating where the seed is covered with a nice tent-like covering um, to keep the moisture. And we're using vermiculite in this case because vermiculite holds and, re and, and produces um, moisture. It basically creates a high, or, I'm sorry, very low VPD um, around the seed so it doesn't dry out. Whereas on the right cell, you've got a seed that's just hanging out naked. So you go through and you water it and you say, good job. The problem is, is that the sun comes out and dries the seed coat out, and now you've got a very bad job. So you've got this wet and dry, and you go down to level two, and so it dries. So making sure that you've got it uniformly co covered. And using a coarse material so that you're not creating, you create a tent, not a blanket. Because you don't want to smother it, because if you use it too fine, it smothers the seed, and then basically it's, the seed is um, soaked, and you basically you form a gel coat. We also want to make sure that we've got uniform distribution of that um, coating material. Notice that in the yellow circle, that seed was covered correctly. And of course, it's germinated and moving along, along with the seed next to it. Whereas the red circle shows the seed that was not covered. And sure enough, that seed is not germinating. And so now we're totally asynchronous with this just because we didn't dis distribute it. Now, the question is, how would you do that? Okay. Well, many times we go out into the flat, into the seating area, and look at the um, the overcoaters and see how much material is in that overcoater. You know, sometimes we see that it's not full. Now, what do you think, Bill? Do you think that's good or bad? That's probably not good because it's not going to cover uniformly. Right. And the part of it is, is that as you start drawing down to this level, it starts floating different size particles so that the fines start floating to the bottom and you can't mix all those fines up because they're just going to go out and they're going to create blankets. And on top of that are the coarse material, which was once it eventually comes out, 
it's going to create a nice tent. So you have un inconsistent, and we've done a lot of work on large production runs, and it's really is shocking the difference this makes between having um, your bin filled with um, to the top and consistently kept filled to the top so that it basically creates a constant downward movement of uniform particle sizes to give you uniform coverage. And if you get down to about halfway, it's time to make sure that you refill it so that you end up with uniform covering. It's the little things that make a difference between synchronous and asynchronous germination of your so, pansies and violas. So you really just want to have a process in process flow in place in your greenhouse where those hoppers get filled on a consistent basis so they're not running low. Right. And one of our operations, they actually built a um, loader, which is a ba basically a screw that loads with a, um, with a um, sensor that says if it gets down to a certain point, like in your flat filler, if it gets down to a certain point, it starts loading um, vermiculite or overcoating material into there. So you have a consistent level. Consistently gives you synchrony. Inconsistency gives you asynchronous. So that keep that in mind as you review your overall process because it's a little bit of money here saves you a phenomenal amount of money in the gapping process and the growing process all the way through. So um, you know, really focus on this area right in here um, on what's doing. Let's talk about the water tunnel because this is where the magic really begins. Remember, step one is about water. Let's get that water on there uniformly. So the water tunnel is a key part of uniform germination. Remember that nozzle number one, that first hit with the water, basically glues the seed to the surface um, and glues it down so that in the process it doesn't move around. Moving around seed is not a good thing. Nozzle number two, three, and on basically brings the soil up to the targeted moisture level that you have set as the optimum for your germination. Every operation is going to have slightly different weights that are optimum, but you need to target our optimum weight and really go for that. Um, and also you need to periodically check to make sure that you're actually achieving those weights. Now, what's people say, well, we've got it all set up and it's all working correctly. And you say, well, give me the data. And you start going, say, well, okay. So you look at the data and what happens is if the target is say 1100 grams is, or 13, let's say they've got 1200 grams as their target weight. And what they start, people dutifully measure them. And some of them are 12, some are 14, some of them are at 11, some of them are at nine because, you know, they forgot to turn the water on. Um, you know, they're all over the place. And then you wonder, why do we have asynchronous or non-uniform germination? The detail here and the, the purpose of weighing them is to remind people, ah, yeah, that's right. It's supposed to be this. Mm -hmm. And it keeps them focused on doing the job and doing the job right. Because this is a monotonous, boring job. So let's make sure they got it right. You so, can't take you know, too long to do that, right? You're just pulling off a tray and weighing it you yeah, know, on, every, a, on some sort of a schedule. Yeah, every 10, 15 trays, every shelf, however right you want to Between the end of the line and the and the cart. Like, I mean, you're just moving it right yeah, past yeah. the scale. In fact, they'll usually, they'll usually they'll have a scale sitting there right along the um, the, the belt. Yeah. And they just pick one up, set it there and go, good. Good to go. It's on target. So... Checking this to make sure you're, you've got it down right, because the soil going in there can be highly variable. Trust me. Um, 
So you can, this is the last check to make sure you've got it right. Now, once we've got the water tunnel, we've got them, now, now let's talk about, should we do stage one in a bench versus a chamber? Now there's, this is an endless discussion and let's just talk about some of the pros and cons and what we need to be considering if we're gonna go down a bench germination versus putting it in a chamber and then move it to a bench. So if you're gonna to go to a bench directly, you really need to use primed or Genesis seed. The reason is, is that it's very difficult to maintain the optimum moisture um, for raw seed because raw seed germinates over a very long period of time. It's very variable. So when they prime the seed, what they're doing is, is they're creating a much more um, tight germination window for you to use if you get all the other pieces correct. So we really wanna use primed seed or Genesis seed when we're on a bench um, environment. Ideally, you'd like to use fog with VPD. Now we do have a podcast, don't we, Bill, on um, VPD? We do, we have a whole series and an article and videos. Ah. Oh, so there's a lot of ways to, for you to, to understand what VPD is, but yep. basically what it is, if you think about it in a nutshell, it's a way to maintain a very um, high relative humidity, very low stress, so that the seed doesn't dry out as it's sitting there on the bench. Okay, so using VPD with um, fog nozzles, perfect um, setup for um, germinating um, pansies. Tents, if you do, can't do that and you just want to do tents in Holland, they use tents extensively because tents capture that high relative humidity and hold that in and around the, um, and the tents can either be pulled over the bench um, or they can be actually a, a raised tent over. But it's the whole idea is you want to maintain a very high relative humidity so the seed does not dry out. Because remember, once you dry out, you're done. And of course, the reason why you do that is you don't want to be out there misting on the bench. Because the more you mist, the more likely you're going to be that you're going to saturate the soil. If you saturate the soil, you're going to now start forming gel. And what happens, Bill, when you form gel? Can't take in any oxygen and it shuts it all down. Yep. So it's a fairly straightforward, and this is probably the biggest mistake um, I see growers out there just basically pounding up to death with water. Bad plan, especially when they use large droplets or they use like a regular old water nozzle. Uh, they get their uh, red, red nozzles out there and they start pounding water out there and they just flood the place and they're in big trouble. Make sure that you're using your water targets so that you're basically irrigating up to a level three and you're bringing it down to a level, um, taking it up to a level four, excuse me, and then taking it down to a level three. So you're continuing that um, four down to three, four down to three, um, and hitting the actually the weights to make sure that you're not getting too much water on there. Remember that once you start um, violas, because they form more gel, you basically want to run them just a little bit drier. So basically having your violas on one bench that you can manage separately from your pansies is a good plan. Trying to put it all on the same bench makes it a little more complicated to do. Does that make sense, Bill? Yeah, absolutely. Okay, what about putting it in a chamber? Okay, well, if you're gonna go into a chamber, you can use raw 
or primed Genesis seed because in a chamber, you're gonna hold a humidity much tighter. It's gonna be a high relative humidity. So you're not gonna dry out so that the raw seed does have a chance to, to absorb water um, while it's in the chamber. And that's really the whole purpose of the chamber is to basically create a constant stable um, relative humidity, i.e. low vapor pressure deficit so that the seed does not dry out. So you basically use some kind of a fog or I've seen growers basically take and wrap their trays. Um, and then basically they're gonna basically have it in the chamber from the time that they've sown it until the time the seed cracks. Basically, you're also gonna wanna see a little bit of a weight drop. One of the problems that you have when you've got fog is sometimes it gets too wet and then you start absorbing and the weight of the trays goes up. Check your weights in and check your weights out to make sure that you're not absorbing more moisture because you could be just forming gel in the chamber. Bad plan. So you really want that tray weight to drop, you know, 10, but no more than 50 grams um, over the course of the time in chamber. The time in chamber, of course, is from the time you put it in there until the seed cracks and that radical starts because at that point they've germinated. As you get out of the chamber, you need to make sure that you go and you check your weights and you want to um, uh, water them back up to the target weights because they will um, need, you know, just to make sure that you can get the rest of the seed. How do you know if you're putting on too much moisture? Because that's always one of the questions. Am I too wet? Well, one of the things that you can quickly see is if you're too wet, you're going to get root running. Root running is where the roots basically come out of the cell and head over to another cell. And that's all because it's just too wet out there and the roots want to go, um, want to go down, but if it's really wet, they just go over the surface and they run. So um, if you see a lot of root running, you're just being staying too wet. You're not taking the weight down far enough. So we spent a lot of times talking about how to do this, what are the critical steps, what's the physiology of it. Remember getting it wet, then getting the oxygen in it is really critical. Um, and it really boils down to um, three major areas to focus on. You want to, first of all, you want to be fo focusing on water in that soil before you ever sow it. What's the target? Because if it's that's not right, it's really hard to fix it. Trust me, we've tried for 30 years to figure out how do we fix this mess? And the way to fix this mess is to fix the flat filler and that whole process. And then all of a sudden it's like, huh, well, that was really easy. Um, spend the money there, spend the time, you do it right. Once you sow it, make sure that you've got the right amount of water for the time of sowing so that you've got the right target moisture at sowing and that up to the time that it germinates, that it actually dries down slightly in that window from sow to germinate when the radical emerges. And then basically look at what is your water targets from the time that you germinate until the cotyledons begin to unfold. So it's really, it's all about water. Um, I hope I bludgeon this to death, Bill, so people understand that water does help or kills. Well, I think that the whole goal is to help growers achieve like the absolute most uniform crop coming onto the bench once it's been sown. So I think that bludgeoning it is uh, probably necessary. So if people do that, I think that they'll find that um, all of a sudden the uniformity will improve and overall germination stands are excellent. Hey, thanks for putting that slide in there, Will. Yep. I appreciate it. So you can find dozens, probably hundreds 
of tech on demand educational resources online. We've been making them for a few years now and uh, covering all sorts of different topics. And every week I send a newsletter covering the same wide range of cultural and technical topics. And you can subscribe uh, very easily. I will put links in the show notes. We've also created a ton of videos for growers of all skill levels from new entry-level growers all the way to those of you who've been doing it for 30 or 40 years. We also have a podcast, which is a great way to learn about technical topics on the go. And if you want to connect with a huge global group of more than 5,000 of your peers, I suggest you join the Greenhouse Tech Team on Facebook. If you search Greenhouse Tech Team, answer a couple simple questions, I will let you right in. So Will, thank you so much for your time. As you know, anytime you have a topic in mind, I will be happy to hit record, open up the lines, and we can make it happen. Thank you so much. Thank you.